Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have with us a non-special, non-guest, me, Dr. Lucas J. Mather. I also have an associate's degree, so you could call me the first few letters of that degree if you want. I also have a master's degree, actually, four. Uh, you can call me Master Luke. My first name's Luke, kind of like Dr. Phil. I'd rather be called Master, actually, if you want to know the truth. But today, I uh, want to talk about the introduction to the definition of marriage in American law and politics. I figured it's a good time to talk about that. We're not going to have any guests, as far as I know, on the Republican Professor podcast on, in June, but we will be continuing with our regularly scheduled programming um, later in the year. Uh, but I wanted to get some uh, stuff that I have taught over the decades, I guess now. <laughs> and one of them, out of the 188 courses I've taught, the the thing I probably taught the most was logic. And um, my uh, PhD is in constitutional law. This combination of logic and, and public law and American politics um, has been very interesting for me. It's, it's enabled me to have some very interesting conversations at a fairly rigorous, high level, pretty fruitful conversations, I would say over the years. And uh, I think the definition of marriage is one of the things I've talked about the most, starting in 2005, when I taught my first introduction to philosophy course at Biola University. And uh, I also taught symbolic logic that semester. That was the first college semester I taught. And um I began thinking uh, fairly rigorously about the definition of marriage in American law and politics uh, during that time. I think I assigned my Biola students a final project that semester to interact with and uh, deal with decisively, as decisively as possible, a debate which was occurring in uh, philosophical, uh, sorry, Philosophia Christi, which was a professional philosophy of religion magazine. And the impetus for that was a movement called marriage, the so-called marriage equality movement. And so um I began uh, floating ideas in my courses through the years, um, and I had ample opportunity to do that because, I don't know if you know, I don't know how many of you have taken logic, probably not very many of you have taken my logic class, I don't imagine, but well, maybe my former students are watching this, I don't know, but I have with me um, Professor Irving Kopey who's now deceased, unfortunately, former professor at University of Hawaii for many years. Um, my friend Shannon Holzer used to clean his carpets, by the way. We went to college together in Hawaii. So just giving you a shout out there, Shannon. He now teaches at HBU. 
um, in the government department. So I wanted to uh, use Copy here because the I didn't use Copy when I was teaching. I used mainly Patrick Hurley's A Concise Introduction to Logic, but that book is inaccessible to me right now. I have like 10, I probably have 12 copies of that dang thing, but it's in boxes because we recently moved and I ain't getting to it anytime soon. I, I mean, I'll, I'll try to get to it. This is just the first part, so I might be able to bring it on uh, later, uh, not today, but in the next part or the next two parts. Um, but Copy, this was my textbook when I took Logic. And this is a good textbook, actually. It's very well. Uh, this is the 10th edition, and I used this back in, gosh, what was it? Over 20 years ago when I took it. And uh, the you might you may not know this, but when you take a, log, a standard logic course, definitions are a part of the course. Logic is a part of philosophy. And uh, the issue of definitions is a big deal in philosophy. So, for example, in Copy here, um, chapter five is all about definitions. The entire chapter is just about definitions. Uh, Patrick Hurley's chapter two uh Entirely, I, I, that's the one I used, but I can use Copy because I happen to have this on my shelf since um, it's ready to go. I'm going to um, point out to you different kinds of definitions and issues with definitions in general. I think this is good background for the definition of marriage issue, <laughs> at least as I experienced it, because um where we're headed with this series is we're going to look at court decisions um let me let me share my screen here it's going to feel a little bit like possibly it's going to feel like we're cooking and uh you know i'm like chopping up onions and we're you know sauteing scallops and you know maybe we got the uh the oven on, you know, we're baking something. But uh, in 2003, there was a Massachusetts Supreme Court case called Goodrich versus Department of Public Health. I'm sharing my screen now. So those of you who are listening on the audio only, sorry, but you're not going to be able to see this. Let me just show you, since I'm an educator, I want to show you how to get to this so you can read it for yourself. Uh, I go to Google Scholar. That's me. I go to Google Scholar. And let me show you freshly how to do it. How do you get to Google Scholar? Well, you go to Bing and you search Google. And usually it's the third one down. Oh, it's on top this time. Great. Click that. And then you can, if it ever gets you past this other stuff. Wow. Sorry. 
it is the third one down. Wow. <laughs> uh, Google Scholar. Google, Google Scholar. I'm having a lot of fun right now, in case you can't tell. We're at Google Scholar. Hit case law. Hit select courts. Scroll down. Go to Massachusetts. Click all of Massachusetts. Click done. All you digital natives are following very quick. Goodrich versus public health in the search bar. Click enter. It's the top one. It's 2003. Then you have the case right there. And uh, you even know how to cite it. It's right there in citation. And you can cite the, the page numbers on the side. You'll see in the text, uh, there's the number on the side on the margin is repeated in the text. And that's how you know what page number it is. So for example, it uh, starts on page 310. And I would expect my students to know this. You know, you you better be citing page numbers. You better be citing this correctly. You'll see that Chief Justice Marshall is the one, Chief Judge, I guess it is, uh, Marshall, is uh, the one that begins the opinion on page 312. You see 312 on the side there? Okay, and then you see 312 right there in the text. It's right before Tony R. Maida. And it's before the Massachusetts Psychiatric Society and others. So the, the Massachusetts Psychiatric Society and others would be on page 311. Then you see 312. Okay, that's how you'd cite it. So I'm going to scroll down a little bit. Where would where would 312 end? Right there with the term regulatory. There's 313 and then authority. That's on 313. Regulatory is the last word on page 312. I, I think it's very important to show you where I'm going and what I'm going to be commenting on. This is the first judicial decision I'm going to be commenting on. We're using some legal materials. Hang on, hang on, okay? I'm sauteing the scallops. We're going to go back to the boiling eggs or whatever in a second. We're going to have like three or four things going on here at the same time. There's just no other way to do this because the definition of marriage is a complex topic. Okay. And I want to do it justice. Um, I, I also want to tell you stories about the conversations I've been in personally and how those went and what I learned the hard way as far as how these conversations can go and what makes it a disastrous conversation, what makes a productive conversation and so on and so forth. That's another thing we're going to be doing. Now, this is just an introductory episode. So I don't mean to imply that we're going to, well, all I'm trying to do is introduce you to some of the materials we'll be interacting with. Try to convince you hopefully above 50% <laughs> that this is not a waste of your time and uh, you know, give you some, some things to think about and hopefully some resources for you to grow in this area because I have spent a lot of time in this. I have taught it to thousands of students. I have talked to thousands of people about this. And I, I, I enjoy it. I think it's very interesting. I think it's very important.
Okay. So we got logic. We're going to be doing logic part of this. The issue of definitions in general. We're going to be looking at the legal materials. Okay. We're going to be taking a look at culminating in Obergefell versus Hodges 2015. It came, uh, was a Supreme Court decision, U.S. Supreme Court, June 26th. That is the so-called uh, marriage equality decision that um, changed the definition of marriage in law across the country. And we're going to take a look at that. Now, um, I hope that you find that I approach this in a fresh way. If you simply hate Republicans, first of all, I'm not surprised because that is just how college campuses are. They're little Democrat indoctrination, um, intellectual molestation breeding grounds for um, the great inflated and the entitled uh, brought to you by taxpayer expense. So it's not surprising. I mean, popular culture is... Um, the, the king of, of distracted thinking and, and image-oriented, uh, feeling-based, emotive utterances. And, um, you know, I, you know I, I teach logic, okay? So uh, there's a section in here on informal fallacies. We will be taking a close look at informal fallacies in these legal materials. Now, normally... <laughs> This is back and forth and I, I would be listening to you, what you have to say. I'd be taking questions. Um, I enjoy this topic a lot. So I'd be happy to take your questions if you have them in the comments. If you have merely emotive utterances, um, please uh, maybe spray paint them privately uh, on your own property somewhere. And uh, try to come up with, try to give yourself 24 hours, come up with something uh, intelligent that doesn't commit any logical fallacies like ad hominem, for example. Um, and I would be happy to, it's, it's tough doing this podcast because I don't know how defensive I need to be exactly, but, but um, I, I don't, I don't normally come at this from a defensive posture and I try not to be offensive, but it doesn't matter Sometimes people just find your mere existence offensive um, because you're a Republican. And I'll, I guess it's a good time to maybe talk about this because I've had this kind of question a million times. I, you know, maybe a billion times. I don't know. The question is Professor, why do you care? Why do you even care? Uh, and I've answered that question different ways over the years. I, I try different answers just because um, I get bored easily and I want to see wh what the reaction is to different ones. Sometimes I just say, uh, I care for the same reason that you care because it's important. You know, that the, the looks I typically get are deflated look. You know, there's there's a feeling like, hey, I'm going to catch you in something if you have the wrong facial expression or if you, 
you know, you, uh, you put your shoe on one at a time. If you put it on the wrong, you know, the, the, the wrong method, then you're racist or something like that. I don't believe that that's how you are supposed to conduct yourself in talking about high level issues and with any kind of sincerity and, and appreciation for the truth. And frankly, I'm just going to give you a word here. It's alethophobia. There's a lot of alethophobia out there. And I'm a, I, I was diagnosed with epistemophilia by my epistemologist a long time ago. And if you don't know what those terms mean, I would say, look them up, but I'm going to help you because you might not know how to spell them. I always hated it when they said, look it up. And you're like, well, I don't know how to spell it. So how would I look it up? Well, let's take a look. Epistemophilia is the love of knowledge. And if you don't know what an epistemologist is, it's a specialist in the theory of knowledge. It's actually a field of philosophy. And yes, I did have an epistemologist. <laughs> I took epistemology several times in graduate school. It's one of my favorite things to study. It is the philosophical study of knowledge, which is called epistemology. And epistemology, uh, epistemophilia, epistemophilia, is uh, a combination of the Greek word episteme, which means knowledge, and sometimes it's it means like justification, like kind of ep like epistemic justification would be the kind of justification or basis or warrant or reasoning that would suffice for having knowledge. Uh, philia is that word that's in Philadelphia. It's the word for friend or love of. And what was that other word that I gave you? Alethophobia. Let's see if they have it in this dictionary. Alethophobia. Comes from the Greek word aletheia. And wow. Alethophobia. There's a wiktionary. Well, it's not coming up. Here's an urban dictionary. Fear of truth. Wow, not not bad. Not bad. They got it. Alethea, Alethea in Greek means truth. Phobia means fear. I want you to keep that in mind. There is rampant alethophobia among us and the k through 12 system contributes to it sadly and that's the truth <laughs> the the uh higher educational system contributes to it alethophobia Phobia means fear or horror. Okay. Philia means friend. As you can tell, I love definitions. I love getting into the language. Um, so 
I want to try to equip you to have the rhetorical skill to navigate any situation that you may encounter as you discuss this topic intelligently. So, okay, one one way I, I, I respond to the question, why do you care is for the same reason you do, it's because it's important. The only reason people ask that question on college campuses is because they have a bias toward the Democrats and they get frustrated if there's a Republican voice that they perceive to be uh, speaking um, a different path or a, a voice that would criticize that perspective that they have, that they personally have. And the frustration comes out in this kind of manipulative question uh, or, you know, sometimes comments. There's a lot of manipulation here rhetorically. And so you have to be ready for it. And um, I usually say I'm not a lethophobic um, and, and I'm not transphobic either. The, the transphobia word, trans means change. If you look it up, it's like transportation means changing locations. Tran, uh, a phobia means fear. Sometimes it means horror, like a dread or horror. Um, I'm not afraid of change. Transphobia means afraid of change. I'm not afraid of change. If you want to see what fear of change is, uh, then go to an entirely Democrat city like San Francisco and just um, get a get a Republican sign and stand on the sidewalk. You will see transphobia. They are deathly afraid of change in San Francisco. And Democrats typically are very afraid of change anywhere on the college campuses. They're highly controlling people. And uh, that's why they only want their views talked about in media, on social media, uh, on college campuses, which are taxpayer funded, on um, public streets in Democrat cities. Um, and uh, that's transphobia. That's alethophobia. But I don't rest my arguments on these kind of slick uh, rhetorical maneuvers and bumper sticker kind of things. I actually have something to say. And so the first thing I like to do is just read the dictionaries when you get to the definition of marriage. And I do this typically before I get to the legal materials. You can do it after the legal materials. It's I've done it every single way. It's not like I knew exactly how to do this when I first did this in 2005. But, you know, over here in Biola University in 2005, you know, there was a marriage uh, definition of marriage debate going on nationwide. I don't know if you know, or if you remember that. I was there. I was on the campuses. I was on the secular campuses. I was on the Christian campuses. I was there. I saw it myself. And I'm just expressing to you what it was like. Okay. And I, I just read the dictionaries. I mean, that that's that's one way to start. Okay, so let's let's start there, maybe. 
This is U.S. government property. This is a new thesaurus. I've got, I've got some of these from my Navy days. They were throwing them away, and I was like, "Hey, I'm not, Chief. Do you mind if I grab that out of the trash can?" I said, "Sure." How do I know it was the Chief's dictionary? Well, the one I'll show you, the next one, it's it's in storage right now, but it says Dursip Chief on it, and only a few of you know what that word means. All right, well, let's look up marriage. It's under M, I think. M-A-R-R-I-A. Maritime mark. Marvelous marriage. Can you see that? Is that down at the bottom? Those of you that are listening only, I'll read it for you. The state of being united as husband and wife. This is 1988. The act or ceremony by which two people become husband and wife. Okay. That's how the term is used. Uh, but professor, can't dictionaries, can't words change? That's always what happens. Can't can't words change? Can't definitions change? Well, well, hang on, hang on. Let's let's get some more data here. Here's Black's Law Dictionary. This is the small one. Itemized deduction, last will and testament, legislative brand. All right, here we go. Market cap, uh, market share, liability, marshalling the evidence. What do we got? Marriage. What year is this? The small one. The uh, bigger one I have is older. This is 1996. Okay. The legal union of a couple as spouses and... Here's the definition of a sham marriage, okay? <laughs> this is very interesting, sham marriage. A purported marriage in which all formal requirements are met or seemingly met, but in which the parties go through the ceremony with no intent of living together as husband and wife. That's interesting. Husband and wife. Okay. Uh, here's the Oxford American Dictionary, and I've heard of Oxford University Press. Uh, me personally, I have. This is published in 2015, which is when Obergefell was um, handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court. And let's take a look at what marriage means in Oxford University Press. I think they know something about the English language. If you read about how they uh, come up with these definitions, they have a little explanation for how they do that. They survey like uh, billions of uses. All right. So um, to marry. 
Okay, let's see here. It means to join two people together as husband and wife. Marriage. Okay, here's the noun. The state of being husband and wife. 2015 Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, can be a, a wedding ceremony as well of, of what was just mentioned. Okay. Very interesting. Here's the uh, pocket Oxford English Dictionary. I don't know whose pocket this is supposed to fit in because it's way too big for my pockets. This is 2013. It has the same definition. By the way, if you look up wife, it'll say, uh, a woman married to a man. And if you look up husband, it says man married to a woman. By the way, if you look up man, it says an adult human female, sorry, <laughs> an adult human male. And the secondary definition, or sometimes it's the first definition, it's uh, just a human being. Black's Law Dictionary. This is huge. This sucker's huge. This is old. And... We got um, mortgage mixed minister. We're almost there. Marriage. A contract according to the form prescribed by law by which a man and a woman capable of entering into such contract mutually engage with each other to live their whole lives together in the state of union, which ought to exist between a husband and a wife. That's that is Black's Law Dictionary revised fourth edition. And let's take a look at oh UCLA. This came from UCLA. Let's see, 1968. You know what I like about this one? Is this was published. Uh, the proofs were probably ready uh, before Loving versus Virginia was decided by the Supreme Court. You'll notice there's no racial criteria whatsoever in these in these these definitions. Here's Merriam-Webster's uh, Collegiate Dictionary, tenth edition. I have a lot of these dictionaries. I'm not going to go through too many more of them. But I'm just going to get get a flavor uh, for you of what the dictionaries are saying. 1993. Okay. Nothing. Looks like I have this marked. Must have used this in class. There's a class. Oh, sign-in sheet. Hmm. All right. Let's see here. Marriage is the state of being married. Oh, very helpful. Thank you very much. Um, it goes on to say the mutual relation of husband and wife doesn't say husband or wife. It says husband and wife. Uh, the institution whereby men and women are joined in a special kind of social and legal dependence for the purpose of founding and maintaining a family. Okay. 1993. Here's Random House, Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. I, I mean, I'll do like, um, I'll do a few more of these 
this is 1990, 1992, sorry. So very similar. And, oh, I have this marked up too. I must have used this in class. All right, marriage. I better put that bookmarker back before I forget. Okay, the social institution under which a man and a woman live as husband and wife by legal or religious commitments. It always says man and wife or husband and wife. It doesn't say or. Yeah, I got to put, put that back later. Here's the American Heritage Dictionary. Okay. Oh, I have this marked too. Good. I'm getting into ones that I actually brought. Now, can you imagine me hauling these suckers into Pepperdine or whatever? Talk about this. Looks like I have husband. Oh, maybe. Not sure why I have that bookmarker there, actually. Marriage. Muscle bound mullet. Mean masking. Marble cake. Okay. Mammary gland. We're getting closer. Manipulate. Marietta, Marigold, Martial Art. It's got to be here. Mary. Marriage, where are you? The legal union of a man and a woman as husband and wife. Yeah, but what year is that, Professor? What year? Can't, can't definitions change? Is the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language Third Edition, Department of Linguistics at Stanford University? He was the editor of this. Okay, nineteen ninety-six. This is when I was in college. Let's get one during segregation. Here's the Oxford Universal English Dictionary. Okay, and I'll show you one more after this and then you know we'll we'll move forward here melancholy manservant ooh looks like i already have this marked off i'm all right mandarin mandarin have it marked on the same way oh i probably had man that's what i had that marked for i gotta put that back I probably had that for man. I like looking up words like man. Do you want to know what man is here? I might as well as I'm right here. It means a human being. First definition. This is what Oxford Universal Dictionary, Oxford University Press. Published by Oxnard Community College in Ventura County. That's a joke, by the way. Oxford in England. Okay. All righty. Let's see here. Okay. So it's just species. And then the secondary definition is adult male human. The male human being. Adult male human being. Okay. But we didn't come there for man. We came here for, for, for marriage 
And I'm looking up marriage here. Maro went too far. These are small words because there's a lot in here. Uh, it's very heavy too. I'm, my hand is starting to ache a little bit. Marriage. Okay. The, the uh, ceremony by which two persons are made husband and wife. Okay. Wow. And then there's lots of examples there. Okay. Uh, notice there's no racial criteria at all. And did I say the, the uh, date of this? Oxford University Press, 1933. That's during segregation. It was revised 1955. That's definitely during segregation in the United States. Okay. The final one I will do for today, I have uh, about a dozen more dictionaries. Um, the final one that's a physical definition, dictionary, the heaviest, and it's this one, the... Uh, The complete edition of the Oxford English Dictionary, and it's in this one, A through O, and the good old people at Oxford University Press are so good to give you a Sherlock Holmes kind of uh, magnifying glass. Actually, they give you two of them. I'm not sure why two, but there's two magnifying glasses and that's because if I were to bring this volume out, you could not easily see it with your eyes. The print is so small. And I just want you to look at how thick it is. And how heavy is this? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not very good at weight. But it's, I have to use easily both hands. And I'm going to, it's going to make a thud on the, on the, so. Okay, now I want to show I want to share my screen here and just show you my MacBook Pro. My MacBook Pro. Oops. I'm going to share my screen here. Oh man, this is so boring. You haven't uh, answered my question yet. Uh, can can words change? Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. Don't you worry. We'll get there. Here's my MacBook Pro. Marriage. Noun. The formal union of a man and a woman, typically recognized by law, by which they become husband and wife. Notice. There's a secondary definition, which is common. And I've checked definitions going back. I I took an archival resource research methods course in 2014 for my PhD. And it was a it was a PhD historian as the professor. And I'm not, you know, a history guy. I'm this was my I took legal research methods and archival methods for my PhD. 
because I was specializing in public law, constitutional law, and American politics for my PhD. I was teaching logic full-time and ethics and public policy uh, as a job while I was working on my PhD in Los Angeles. And I had to work in the Claremont College's archives, and they have very old dictionaries in the archives. And I did I look at the word marriage? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I, I snuck off, and they probably thought I was goofing off. I don't know what they thought I was doing, but I was getting material for my classes and my papers I was writing. I wrote three papers on this, uh, scholarly papers on this. So I, I double-checked. I wanted to see, am I crazy? Going all the way back, as far as I could go, hundreds of years. Uh, I wasn't surprised. This It's the same definition. And this is from my 2013 MacBook Pro, my Apple MacBook Pro. And I, I discovered later it was just the Oxford English Dictionary that they were using. Okay. Now, I want to, uh, I, I don't know what I should do at this point, but I'm just, I, I, I guess I would say, I want it to be clear that there is a clear definition of marriage. Okay. It's relatively clear. And Copy, to go back to the uh, introduction to logic, would call these uh, in his chapter five on, on definitions, he would call these lexical definitions. He covers different kinds of definitions. There's stipulative definitions by which uh, parties uh, agree on a definition in a certain context. Typically, these are in contracts, for example. Um, sometimes they're in statutes, where a statute is kind of a political agreement between parties uh, for the purpose of carrying something out, um, some kind of public policy. Um, but the the definitions that the dictionary tries to get at are lexical definitions, and there's criteria for lexical definitions. Uh, then there's precising definitions, there are theoretical definitions, there's persuasive definitions that are kind of used kind of to manipulate you or whatever. Um, uh, there's a distinction between denotation and in, intention, sorry, yeah, denotation and intention the intention and extension, uh, connot sorry, denotation versus connotation, uh, extension versus intention. These are technical terms, and I cover this when I cover uh, when I teach logic. But um, but uh, Copy has a very good little section here called rules for defining something by genus and difference. So when you cover definitions in general, let me say some things about definitions in general. Okay. 
what are definitions for? They're for reducing ambiguity and vagueness in conversation, in law, in politics. They're for communication. Okay. That's how we communicate. We use language. So when when a student, a very defensive student on the Democrat side, <laughs> which how many of those have I had as the Republican professor? I, I don't know. I lost count a long time ago. Thousands, you know, probably. They they always ask, but can't definitions change? And I'll usually, uh, you know, with my dictionary, I look, I, I say, what do you mean by the word definition? What do you mean by the word change? What do you mean by the word can? I notice when you ask the question, you're using words. And let me guess, if I looked up those words in the dictionary that you all of a sudden have a problem with, let me guess, you would be using those words exactly the way they're used in the dictionary. Uh, shocker. Because <laughs> you, you're, you're trying to communicate. That's what you're trying to do. And, and you know, can't, can't dictionaries change? Well, what do you mean by the word dictionary? And then I'll look up the word dictionary in the dictionary. And turned out they have the same definition. Amazing. It's just that you want to change this word. You want to change the definition of this word. Why? That's very interesting. How or how do you want to go about doing that? What's your technique for doing that? Is it a legitimate legal argument? Is it a legitimate political argument? Why are you so defensive about the definition of this word? And back then, you don't have the, I know, you don't have the, the recording, but I do. I was there. I predicted to all of my students, if you're this cavalier about definitions, I guarantee you, you don't want to just change this definition right here. You want to change others. And, and what would those definitions be? And why? For example, do you want to change the definition of man? At that time, they they no one said yeah, but I saw that coming. Do you want to change the definition of woman? Do you want to change the definition of human being? And already tried to do that with Roe versus Wade. And you know what? Roe versus Wade was filled with fallacies. It's a bad decision. I wrote a scholarly paper on it. I, I, I carefully read Roe versus Wade. I carefully read Dred Scott versus Sanford. And I compared the two and, and I, I found they, they committed two of the same logical fallacies. And I wrote a paper on it. My professor uh, was a pro-choice professor, published well, uh, you know, Cornell University Press pro-choice monograph. And she looked at me 
and said, on the very thing you mentioned, you are correct. That, that That's right. They did commit the same fallacies. Scholars knew about the problems with Roe versus Wade. Well known. John Hart Ely, 1973, Yale Law Journal, The Wages of Cr Crying Wolf. You can probably find it online. The Wages of Crying Wolf. Let's let's take a look. I don't know. Those of you who are listening, this is you you might want to go to the YouTube and check check out what I'm doing here. Um, John Hart Ely, the wages of, let's see what comes up. The wages of crying wolf. Can you get to it? There it is on JSTOR. You might need to be, can I download it? Let me click on it. I, you can download it. I just showed you how to do it. The Wages of Crying Wolf, Yale Law Journal, 1973. And I want you to know that he is pro-choice. And the, as soon as Roe versus Wade came down, it was criticized by pro-choice legal scholars. As soon as it came down, because it's filled with fallacies. And it pissed a lot of people off. And it started an entire movement to have it overturned. Why? Well, as I read it, there's logical fallacies. They redefined human being. <laughs> they tried to. And you know what? It wasn't persuasive. No. Human beings do not begin at birth. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. Even pro-choicers will talk about having a baby. You know, super bizarre. It's no wonder it got overturned. It's no wonder. Let's roll that into a comment about the authority of, of the legal materials versus the power of legal materials. I'm going to make a distinction between the legal materials power and the legal materials authority. Okay. Told you I'm I'm we're we're like chef, the the show chef. We're doing little things. I'm I'm bouncing around. It's not that it's unorganized, it's just that it's so complex. I have to I have to talk about like five different things in this introductory video. And I have to do it quickly before losing your attention. Most of you have very short attention spans anyway. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not going to prostitute myself just to keep your low attention span. I'm not interested in doing that. No, thank you. My interest is in doing some quality work here. If you want to take advantage of it, that's fine. And I'm I'm happy to have you here. Um, welcome. You know, even if you disagree with me, I welcome you here. Um, I appreciate you being here and listening. The legal versus the legal materials, what I mean is the judicial decisions that enforce these word changes force people to talk differently because of a legal decision. I view that as an inorganic change 
in the language, meaning there's something uh, unnatural about it and fake about it. And it will, it will piss people off because it feels manipulative, especially if it's based on logical fallacies. And you might think, well, the Obergefell versus Hodges, that's settled law. As that, that's 2015. That's the U.S. Supreme Court. The same people will, uh, you know, tomorrow donate to the Brady campaign, which is um, their whole deal is basically uh, trying to get uh, D.C. versus Heller overturned. Five four, both both are five four. And we've seen Roe versus Wade overturned in the last year. We've seen problem opinions overturned because they they inspire a movement where people don't forget. They don't forget the problems. And a new generation of people come along and they read these things and they, they're not caught up in the emotion of the moment and they read them with fresh eyes and they go, hold on a second. There's all these problems in this. There, there, there's problems here. And people remember that. And I'm a scholar, and so that's what my job is. My job is to show you the materials and help walk you through how to think about it, give you resources. You may not agree, but many of you will. And so that's that's what I'm doing here. The, 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 the court has power. So what about this objection to studying, spending so much time on this? I'm not a lawyer. How, you know, how am I going to read that? You know, I'm not a lawyer. The I'm not a lawyer objection. Well, um, you don't have to be a biologist to read a biology textbook. These legal, the best legal decisions are written to clearly explain the result and the rationale to the layman because they're for the public. They're, they're meant to be persuasive. Think about it in our separation of powers design. The courts are the only one of those three branches that are required, expected to justify and explain their rationale for the action they take. The president isn't required to explain, neither is Congress. Sometimes they do, or they try to, and half the time you're thinking, yeah, you're full of crap. That's not really the reason you're doing what you're doing. But the courts, it feels like they have an obligation. And I think they feel like that too to explain their decision. They never just, they very rarely just issue a decision and they don't explain it or they don't try to justify it. They, 
they open themselves up to criticism because they give you the rationale for it in the decision along with the decision so that's happy hunting grounds and so let me just wade into this really quick i mean we're not going to spend time detailed time in the decisions right now at this moment but i'm just going to give you a preview here i'm going to share my screen i'm going to go back to goodrich okay let's see here where's that goodrich here it is scroll down look at the first word in this decision marriage is a vital social institution oh doesn't that just make you soar with pride <laughs> the first word there is marriage what does the word mean well we've already seen what it means that's what she's talking about it's a woman right what's her name I'm, well, I just assumed it was a woman. Um, anyway, it's the it's the Chief Justice Marshall there. Marriage is a vital social institution. Why, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's great. What do you mean by marriage? You can't get around defining the term. You have to define the term. Later, this judge writing this decision basically contradicts what she just said, or he just said. I can't, I forget, I probably should look that up. Marriage is a vital social institution, dot, dot, dot. Later, she says, or he says, that it's arbitrary, the way it's defined in history and tradition. You scroll down, you'll see that that's the argument. Okay. My point is, is that you can't get around defining the term. If you, the definition of marriage is precisely the question at issue. Okay. It, it is a thing. We're talking about a thing, right? It's, it's a thing. Marriage is a thing. What is it? Let me read to you from my paper in search of marriage. Okay. Just, just the first part here. Wrote this in 2016. In 10 years of teaching philosophy at that time, it's now more than that. It's almost 20. 10 years of teaching philosophy, every semester I've asked my students at some point in the course, what is the definition of marriage? In all the thousands of times I've gotten answers, I have not had one student say they didn't know. Ordinarily, I would say pause here and reflect on that. Very interesting. Like Euthyphro, they charge ahead with some definition or other, usually without thinking about it very carefully. They don't say, let me research that first nor have they ever said, I think I'll, I'll think about it and get back to you. They immediately respond with the definition. By the way, I'm going to stop right there for a sec and say, 
the papers I've assigned and what the definition of marriage is, where they are, apply the rules in uh, Copy or in Patrick Hurley's Concise Introduction to Logic about the rules for defining terms, they come up with the craziest beep you've ever heard in your life. Like you can marry your grandpa. I, I mean, it's just, dude, I could. That. I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it right there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. You just did. Okay. Well, let me go back to what I was saying. They immediately respond with the definition. Each one seems competent that marriage exists, has a nature graspable by the human intellect that can be expressed in language. And most of them think that the positive law ought to recognize and protect that nature, at least this has been a decade's worth of my experience teaching over 150 college and university courses in Southern California. And like Plato na narrates Socrates' role in Euthyphro, I take it that my role is to help my students think about that nature as if their first inclination were correct. There is something real about the nature of marriage that can be grasped by the human mind and protected or recognized in law. Reason can be our guide as to what that nature is as distinct from other things. In his section on derivation of positive law from natural law, the eminent Oxford natural law philosopher, John Finnis, uh, which by the way, was the doctoral supervisor of Neil Gorsuch on the U.S. Supreme Court, just thought I would throw that in there, quotes the modern natural philosopher Christopher St. German. This is not a paper about him, but th this is the quote. In every positive, in every law positive made is somewhat of the law of reason. And to discern the law of reason from the law positive is very hard. Though it be hard, it is much necessary in every moral doctrine and all laws made for the commonwealth. These words of the 16th century English lawyer, Christopher St. German, express the fundamental concern of any sound natural law theory of law, to understand the relationships between the particular laws of particular societies and the permanently relevant principles of practicable reasonableness. Okay. That's the end of the quote that I'm sharing there. What I want you to get out of that is everybody thinks they know what the definition of, of marriage. Nobody says, I don't know. No one says it doesn't exist. Uh, it, it does exist. It is abstract. It's very difficult because it's abstract. It's We're not defining apples and oranges. Okay. You can learn something about definitions by reflecting on the apple and orange example, though. People sometimes say you're, you're comparing apples and oranges. Well, Apples have a nature and oranges have a nature and they are distinct from each other, but they also have something in common. They're both things on a general level. They're things that doesn't help us get at what they are just by itself, but they also have something else in common. They're the product of plants, but that doesn't help us right there either very much. If we want to be precise, you know, um, that wouldn't help us distinguish them from nuts or, uh, from roots or leaves or something like that. Right. 
apples and oranges are not vegetables. They're fruit. They're both fruit. They're both kinds of fruit, but they're not the same. They're not the same. It Saying they're not the same doesn't imply that one is better than the other. Okay. If I say apples are not oranges, but apples are a thing and they're over here and oranges are a thing, they're over here. It doesn't mean just with that, that apples are better than oranges. Are you following me on this? Let me go back to Kopi. Let me just end with this today, okay? Because I've given you a lot to think about. Some of you, I, the libertarians are like, the government should just be out of marriage business. Out of get. That, that's what they start and end every discussion with. And so that's typically oftentimes, a, 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 they just don't want to pay attention. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the homework. It's their excuse for not paying attention. But let's get into copy uh, on lexical definitions. The purpose of a definition, this is on page 127 of the 10th edition, is to eliminate ambiguity or to increase the vocabulary of the person for whom it is constructed. Right. If the term being defined is not new, but has an established usage, which we see for marriage, it has an established usage, even the Goodrich court, the Goodrich court agreed with that. Let me just quickly show you in the Goodrich court where they agreed with you. Uh, they agreed with, with me on that. There we go. If you search, for example, common law, you will see the whole section on the definition of marriage. We interpret the statutes to carry out. This is on page 319 of Goodrich. We interpret the statutes, interpret statutes to carry out the legislature's intent, determining determined by the words of a statute and interpreted according to the ordinary and approved usage of the language. The everyday meaning of marriage is the legal union of a man and a woman as husband and wife. See, that's why I started with the dictionary, because I want you to see they recognize that. There is an established usage. The plaintiffs do not argue that the term marriage never has a different meaning. Okay? They want to change the definition. Okay? All right. Just pointing that out. There's an established usage. I'm back at Coop Copy now. Okay. If the term being defined is not new but has an established usage, the definition is lexical rather than stipulative. So we're not talking about the context of stipulation now. We're not we're not talking about let's stipulate that marriage can be something else be, be, uh, than be, between a man and a woman. A lexical definition does not give its definendum a meaning it hitherto lacked, but reports a meaning the definendum already has. And if you don't know what that word definendum means, it means 
the dumb thing that needs to be defined. <laughs> As my professor Gary DeWeese uh, famously, when when I took a philosophy of science course with him, I was was required. And uh, there's a, a similar distinction, explanands and explanandum. An explanandum is the dumb thing that needs to be explained. The explanands is the explanation. And the definendum is the dumb thing that needs to be defined. The definends is the definition. It's it's what does the defining. Okay, so now there are criteria for uh, defining terms here in the back. And this is on page 148 of the 10th edition. Rule one, a definition should state the essential attributes of the species of the what you're trying to define. Rule two, a definition must not be circular. If you've ever seen Matt Walsh's what is a woman? You'll see that the Democrats uh, constantly give circular definitions when they're not insulting, violating his rights. Um, um, you know, they're trying to shut him up, assault him. Probably what they probably want to kill him. Probably rule three, a definition must neither be too broad nor too narrow. Rule four, a definition must not be expressed in ambiguous, obscure, or figurative language. Rule five, a definition should not be negative where it can be affirmative. Those are pretty helpful rules. Let's go the go through them each in turn, and I'm just going to use ordinary not nouns as examples of this, okay? So what's essential mean? Essential means not accidental. It means that it's you're looking for... In the, in the context of marriage, you're looking for what all marriages have in common and no, no non-marriages have. You want to get the essence of it. Okay. You want to pick out with language what that is, just like an apple. If you define the term apple to include oranges, that's a crappy definition of apple. You haven't really defined apple lex lexically because it's got to give me the essence of what an apple is. And an apple is distinct from an orange. It, they don't have the same exact essence. They do share some, some facts. For example, they're both fruit. That's a fact. But um, there's something more to an apple than there is to uh, just fruit. Same with an orange. And, and your definition would try to get at that in language. And it's hard. It's hard to do. Definition must not be circular. So, for example, um, if I say an apple is, well, it's it's it looks like an apple. Well, that's circular because you just use the same the word in the definition. So if, if I said, well, what's a marriage? And you say a marriage is a marriage. Well, that's circular and that's not very helpful. Definition must not be too not broad nor too narrow. That's another way of saying the definition should be essential. You don't want to be too broad. So for example, in the apples and oranges thing, if you just say they're fruit, that's too broad because it includes pumpkins and it includes watermelons, it includes uh, a broader category. See, this, this is very analogous to marriage because 
what happens in these court decisions is they typically make the move of providing or assuming begging the question by the way is the logical fallacy one of the logical fallacies we'll take a look at another one is equivocation so stay tuned for those on the next episode we'll talk about logical fallacies in these decisions we'll also look at the the comparison of of race and gender uh and sexual orientation in uh, the definition of marriage that that's going to come later we're going to look at that head on But it, uh, rule three, a, a definition must not be too broad or too narrow. Well, you don't want it to be too narrow either because that will exclude some apples. If you're, if you're defining apple and you say, well, uh, apples are gala apples. Well, that excludes um, red delicious apples. And I believe those are two, two different species of apple. Both are apples. They're really apples. You don't want to exclude real apples. That would be too narrow. You don't want to include non-apples. That would be too broad. With marriage, for example, you you want to get at the essence of marriage. You don't want to be circular. It can't be too broad. What these decisions do is they typically say marriage is a couple. No, that's like saying apple is a fruit. Because there are couples that are not married. Being a couple is not sufficient for being married. So that's not really the essence. That's too broad. If your definition of marriage is too broad, it's going to include non-married things. And that's bad. Just like if your definition of apple is too broad, it's going to include non-apples. Are you following this? So you could switch this for anything out like dogs, for example, or spaceships. I like the example of spaceships. We'll, we'll get to that uh, later. Okay. Definition must not be expressed in ambiguous, obscure, or figurative language. You don't want to be unclear in your definition. Definition should not be negative where it can be affirmative. In other words, um, your definition is crappy if you start with like not you know uh, apples are not oranges well but so so are toyota pickup trucks your definition just include of apple just included toyota pickup trucks and cabbage patch kids and kleenex is full of snot because all of those three things just are not apple uh not oranges <laughs> the definition of marriage is inescapable. You're going to have to come up with a definition. You can't get away. And what these court decisions typically do is they say it's not, it, it's, it, it's a broader category. It's not what's in the dictionary. Okay. So then what is the new definition? They don't tell you. Every definition will exclude what it's not and include what it is. That's just true of every single definition. It does the definition of apple for example doesn't ex, doesn't discriminate against oranges. It discriminates between 
referring to apples and between referring to oranges. It discriminates between two things, not against the other thing. And I would say the same thing in marriage. The definition of marriage is used to discriminate between the married and the non-married. And that will be the case no matter what. If you're going to have a marriage policy, you have to have a definition. Because otherwise, anything can be married and everything is married. And it doesn't make any sense. The city of Baltimore is married. More, this is a good introduction. I think I'm going to leave it here. I know that this is a lot of material. And I know that, um, you know, some of you are still hung up on, why do you care? Why do you care? And I'm just going to, ref you know, same reason you do, because it's important. I mean, presumably you're asking why I care, because you care. We both care, right? We care because it's important. And there's some problems here. And, and we need to learn how to talk about them and to understand them with our minds so that we have a healthier society. That's the whole point. We don't want to be alethophobic by shutting down conversation. We don't want to be afraid of the truth. We don't want to be afraid of change. We don't want to be transphobic, which is afraid of change. You know, if the change is healthy, bring it on. If the if 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 the status quo is bad, we should change it. If there's harm, we should change it. All right, guys. There's two types of marriage equality. In both cases, you have to define the term marriage. There's two types of marriage equality. Classical and contemporary. We have to get at what those are. And in the classical sense of marriage in these dictionaries, in languages like Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Chinese, I've got Chinese dictionaries. They have the same definition of marriage. Classical definition of marriage, each marriage is equal to the other marriages, qua being marriages. Sometimes people pronounce that Latin word qua. Quay being marriages. In other words, classical marriage equality is you have the definition of man, uh, a union between a man and a woman by which they become husband and wife. It's a sui generis or sui generis, however you define that, however you say that Latin word. It's a unique relationship. It's it's unique, you know. By the way, I haven't mentioned anything about the Bible. I haven't. You know, this is language. We're talking about the English language. We're talking about law. Our heritage, you know, some people do refer to the Bible as help, you know, literature in that. The first human relationship in the Bible with another human is a marriage relationship. So, you know, some people think that's very relevant to what we're talking about, but I have, you know, you don't need to refer to it, you know. Um. 
you're going to have to define the term because each marriage, whatever it is, whatever is not too broad and not too narrow, whatever the essence of it is, the lex, the proper lexical definition will exclude non-marriages and it will include all marriages. Okay. So you still have to specify what that is in language. And each marriage will be equal qua marriage. Depend, you know, the question is, is what's the correct definition? You might think that there is no correct definition. Well, if that's the case, it's very puzzling why for thousands of times I've asked my students to define the term, everybody has an opinion right away. They, they immediately think they know the definition. Not a single one of them has said it doesn't exist. It's all fake. Uh, what are you talking about? Mar what are you talking about? Marriage? What? Nobody has said that. Everybody thinks they know what it is. They, they assume that it is something graspable by the intellect, expressible in language, that there is a nature to this thing and that we judge the positive law by that nature. Sometimes this is called natural law thinking. The natural law of marriage is what helps us judge the laws that humans come up with, because the laws that humans come up with sometimes are wrong. Okay, well, we're doing a lot here, and I thank you for joining me. We'll go to next, we'll, we'll do part two next. I might have a different topic in between about being an adjunct professor and some stories about that, but more stories and more material to come. We'll get into the legal material. We we'll review the logic uh, principles. Again, this is Introduction to Logic by Irving Copey. And uh, it's published by Prentice Hall. And the dictionaries, I, def I cited those. Uh, and the legal materials, I've cited those. So we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more deeply next time. And I'll talk to you later, okay?